from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. A new kind of food demand, one for our four-legged friends. So the idea is, is that we need to make sure that the foods we provide them have all of the full nutrients uh, and that we deliver it to them in a bioavailable way. How research here is helping aid the rising pet food industry. How many soybean seeds should you plan on planting next season? Some advice that could maximize those yields as we try to win the firm. As COVID infections rise again in China, the country announces its next move about the virus. You know, no matter how you want to slice it and dice it, that hurts demand without question. Now that could impact exports here at home right now on Agri. Good morning, I'm Clinton Griffiths. China's economy has slowed the last several months due to continued COVID lockdowns. Now, it's hit their housing and manufacturer sectors and slowed their GDP. However, since the Chinese election, stories have been flip-flopping on a possible change in policy. Agnes Michelle Rook has the very latest. Clinton report circulated last week. China was possibly easing its zero tolerance policy on COVID and markets like cotton, soybeans and energies rallied on the news. Now, this comes at the same time China's import data for October shows lockdowns are taking their toll on demand for ag goods. In the latest story, health officials say though China will persevere with its dynamic clearing approach to COVID-19 cases as soon as they emerge. This refutes last week's comments that Beijing was making substantial policy changes in the coming months. One market analyst says the trade is looking for market signals to determine what's real. I, I'm eyeing the Chinese currency, the renminbi. I think if this is a real story, the capital flows will start flowing back into China, uh, back into the country, thinking that things are going to get better economically. And, and so I'd be looking at that 14 area on the Chinese currency. Meanwhile, October import data for China shows a decline of 0.7% versus a year ago, the first drop since August 2020 as domestic demand slumped amid strict COVID restrictions. China's exports fell 0.3%, leaving a trade surplus of $85 billion, well shy of an expected increase of $96 billion. Hackett says this should be no surprise. People in the rooms, and you see you're not allowed out, and you, you, you hand them food twice a day. I mean, you know, no matter how you want to slice it and dice it, that hurts demand without question. China imported just 4 million metric tons of soybeans in October, plunging 46% from September and the lowest for any month since October 2014. And for the first 10 months of 2022, China's soybean imports are down 7.4% versus last year. China's October meat imports are also down 5% from last year, mostly due to a drop in pork, and through the first 10 months of the year are down 25% versus 2021. Hackett says these could rebound quickly, though, if China reopens its economy. The West Coast is starting to make up for some lost moisture thanks to rain and mountain snow. Ag Day affiliate meteorologist Chuck Heaver joins us with more. Chuck. Well, it's going to be mild and dry on the east side of the country, wet and cool in the Pacific Northwest under low pressure and an opportunity for another tropical system in South Florida as the week moves along. Here's a look at our wind gust forecast down in Florida over the next couple days. It looks like Wednesday, Thursday, tropical storm conditions could occur and then that gets wrapped up into the cold front and pushed north as low pressure pushes across the country. 
Here's a look at the drought monitor. Of course, uh, center part of the country and out in the California Valley, things still remain exceptionally dry. That'll continue to be the trend, especially over the next week or so. Most of the activity in terms of precip will be on the east coast. Here's your root zone forecast, center part of the country and out in the mountain west. Still very dry. Yields in the Fields on Ag Day is brought to you by Micro Essentials from Mosaic, the science of more. Discover our proven products. Text YIELDS to 31313. Dan is putting a wrap on his harvest in Kent Bridge, Ontario, Canada. Dan says it's been a great harvest this season for him, but the lack of precipitation showed big time this year. Yields for corn, he says, were averaging about 205 bushels to the acre, and he says there's always next year to look forward to. I'll have more on your full forecast coming up. As diesel prices continue to rise, American Farm Bureau Federation is taking a closer look at what's behind the latest increase. It says the average price of diesel right now is $5.32 a gallon. That's more than $1.50 above this same time last year, but down from the peak of $5.81 back in June. AFBF says a ban on U.S. imports of petroleum from Russia, lower domestic production capacity, and seasonal demand are all contributing to these higher costs. AFBF President Zippy Duval sent a letter to President Biden calling on the administration to bring more domestic supply online in an effort to reduce costs. And another letter went out, this time to congressional leadership in an effort to avoid a potential rail strike. The letter coming from the Fertilizer Institute. It's warning a potential strike would see fertilizer and fertilizer inputs embargoed roughly five days prior to any strike pointing out the movement of fertilizer in the country is greatly dependent on rail throughout the year. Currently, it's possible a strike could begin as early as Saturday, November 19th, unless a status quo period is extended. Now, over the weekend, a labor union representing about 4,900 rail workers ratified a tentative contract agreement. It's the 7th of 12 to approve the deal announced back in September. Two other unions have rejected it. New calculations say net farm income in 2022 is set to be one of the highest in recent years. Take a look at this graphic created by FarmDoc Daily using USDA data. Now, net farm income in 2022 is forecast to be just shy of $140 billion, slightly less than last year. It's near the more recent high watermarks from 2013 and 2011. Net farm income is a measure of farm profitability. From 2005 to 2022, the average net farm income was $101 billion. That's seen there in green, proving the last couple of years' incomes are now well above that average mark. Win the furrow programming on Ag Day is brought to you by InFurrow Leader FMC. Visit your FMC retailer or infurrow.ag.fmc.com to learn more. How many seeds get dropped in the furrow is often a big decision at planting. Now in soybeans, there's a debate going on about planting populations and maximizing yields. It's today's Win the Furrow. The genetics and the traits that have been added to beans to allow us you know, the different technologies, starting with Roundup Ready and then Liberty Beans, and now we have the Enlist and the Extend Beans. Um, so there's a lot more options that we have for controlling weeds. Um, so it used to be you put 180, 220,000 beans out there. Um, the price of beans was a little bit cheaper, so we could do that. And we were using population for weed control. But now our seed cost has came, come up with the addition of the traits so we can back our populations down 
and use more herbicides to control some of those weeds unless we're in um, you know some of the non-gmo organic situations but um, i'd say that's been the number one thing for why we can pull our populations back and as we get into you know the era of technology on the planter now we've got some things that that can dial in our plantability and uh, the technology that we have in those planters allows us to create uniform depth, create a better seed environment, uh, better closing of the trench, and we can manage that bean planting more like we manage corn planting. And that allows us to, to get a higher percentage of what we do plant up and emerged. It was a tough day for grains, but a good day for meats. We'll take a closer look at our markets coming up next. And later we're off to Kansas State where researchers are working on healthy food for our favorite pets. Corn futures falling to the lowest level of the month to start out this week. Michelle Rook is back with analysis from Arlen Suderman. Monday's market closes higher in livestock mixed in the grains. Arlen Suderman with Stonex is with us with analysis and Corn and soybeans setting back, but it looked like soybeans took the lead here, kind of on that change in the China COVID policy, Arlen. Yeah, it really did with the health officials coming out, uh, really doubling down on their commitment to dynamic zero COVID. Even as their numbers really explode higher now, they're having increasing trouble really getting a control over it. They also had some da economic data coming out uh, today um, showing that they're really struggling um, to sustain their economy, sustain exports, sustain imports, uh, and it's really having a negative impact. But uh, for now, they're committed to the policy. Yeah, and we, we're still trading this uh, Ukraine export news on the deal, aren't we? Yeah, we're getting down to the last 11 or 12 days of the agreement, and Russia still saying uh, it's uh, making threats about blocking the extension of that agreement. Um, so traders have found a level of chart support they're comfortable, and anytime the price gets down near that level, buyers come in and uh, just not really willing to take things lower un until they know that Russia's going to support that agreement. Yeah. Did the grains also see a little squaring ahead of this WASD report? Are we anticipating much change? Yeah, it was kind of a quiet day overall uh, from that standpoint. And um, traders really not wanting to push things too far one way or the other. As far as change, two things to watch. Do we continue to go lower with corn and soybean yields or do we bounce? Uh, the other thing being on the demand side, uh, the export numbers to this date would suggest maybe we see a decline in exports. But I think if we do, USDA may offset part of that with some increase in domestic consumption for both corn and soybeans. So that'll be something else to watch. And a nice update in the meats. Uh, was all that technically inspired? Uh, much of it was. We do have some good fundamental support under the cattle. Hogs, it was nearly all technical in nature, um, stimulating some unwinding of bear spreads. Yeah, and we closed above the 100-day moving average, so hopefully we'll keep going here. All right, thanks for your analysis as always. Uh, Arlen Suderman with Stonex, our full analysis on agweb.com. We have more Ag Day coming up. Contact Arlen Suderman by email at arlen.suderman at intlfcstone.com. Your next piece of equipment is on machinerypeat.com. Search equipment from dealerships across the country to find what you're looking for. Only on machinerypeat.com.
Meteorologist Chuck Heaver joining us here, taking a look at our national forecast and really keeping a close eye on this tropical system that could be headed for Florida, what, later this week? Yeah, it looks like uh, midweek on Wednesday would be the impact zone, and it's South Florida. It's on the other coast than what we saw with Ian, but still, Florida's definitely under the gun. Well, if you take a look at the jet stream energy, you can see high pressure is in control on the eastern half of the country, while low pushes in to the Pacific Northwest. That's going to migrate its way across the east. It'll set up a cold front, which are going to bring temperatures down substantially in the eastern half of the nation and that energy also will interact with this energy coming into Florida which looks like it will be tropical in nature and that will ride up the east coast bringing rains along the eastern seaboard later in the week. Here's a look at Tuesday's radar again mostly calm throughout most of the country. There's a storm off to the west that'll bring a lot of rain and precipitation that direction. But for the center part of the country, again, mostly clear some high level clouds in the Midwest, but overall not a bad day for a full moon, by the way, on Tuesday and a lunar eclipse Tuesday morning. We'll see that absolutely. There are the wind gusts forecast down in Florida. You can see the eastern side of the Florida Peninsula will get in on that action. It looks like Wednesday into Thursday. As Thursday moves along, you can see here the low pressure pushing over Florida. And then again, that should get caught up and pushed to the north. Here's a quick look at your drought monitor. Again, the central parts of the country and then the eastern uh, California valleys. Very dry, exceptionally dry right now. Here's a precipitation outlook over the next couple days. You can see the eastern coast of Florida getting in on that tropical moisture and then out west associated with low pressure. Temperature outlook for today, not bad. Temperatures above normal for most locations in the 60s, even up to the north. Cooler though, as that cold front starts to work its way further to the east. Here's a temperature for Wednesday afternoon, not bad. And let's take a look closer to home. Miami, Florida, high 84, 72, breezy in anticipation of the tropical system coming in. Salt Lake City, snow and wind, high 36, low 27. And let's go to East Palestine, Ohio, high 55 and sunny, low 36. Ag Day is brought to you by Endzone from Farm Shop MFG, which allows you to rehydrate your soybeans from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's an extra semi-load added to your bottom line. Order your Endzone fan now for as low as $2,900 while supplies last. Ag Day brought to you by Rumenson. Rumenson's quality, consistency, and efficiency make it the right choice for your cattle operation. Rumenson, trusted by generations. For a second month in a row, dairy margin coverage payments are going out. USDA's Farm Service Agency announcing September's DMC income over feed cost calculation to be 862 per hundred weight. This means that production insured at the 950 coverage level will receive a pavement of 88 cents per hundred weight. September's all milk price was $24.40. That's up 10 cents from August. One analyst says the forward-looking margin picture is deming as dairy commodity and milk futures prices move lower while corn prices remain elevated. A terrific update on a dairy farm we profiled last year that was showing grit with grace after taking a direct hit from a tornado. The rebuilding of Wellacrest Dairy Farms is now well underway last September a tornado leveled the family operation that had been around for decades. It only took 60 seconds for that tornado spawned from the remnants of Hurricane Ida to devastate the farm. But just look at what's happening one year later. Donations began pouring in with a GoFundMe account raising more than $120,000. The owners of the farm using the money to help rebuild their heifer barn. 
They say other people rolled up their sleeves to help clean up. The total loss estimated at $2 million. And while repairs are ongoing, the cows are still getting milked and the farm is still in operation. You can read more about it on dairyherd.com. Americans adopted a lot of pets during the pandemic. Up next, some researchers in Kansas are working to keep those pets healthy and thriving through the food they eat. Details next. The NRCS Conservation Stewardship Program cost shares more than 150 practices on farms and ranches. Visit your local service center or farmers.gov today. Closed captioning on Ag Day is brought to you by BASF. BASF, helping you do the biggest jobs on earth. A survey from Forbes found 78% of pet owners acquired pets during the pandemic. As Farm Journal's Stein Morgan reports, it's a booming segment. And researchers at Kansas State University are working to serve up pet food products that meet this growing appetite. Kansas is the second largest pet food producer in the nation uh, next to Missouri. With nearly 3,000 pet food related jobs across the state today, Kansas State University Pet Food Program Director Greg Aldridge is helping feed that growth, but through research. The focus of our research is really on companion animal nutrition and it, the foods that we provide those dogs and cats. The pet foods program here at Kansas State University explores not only the ingredients, but the process that helps create foods for dogs and cats with a special focus on nutrition, shelf life, and food safety. So the idea is, is that we need to make sure that the foods we provide them have all of the full nutrients uh, and that we deliver it to them in a bioavailable way and that they're safe from pathogens and that they are also safe from a long-term storage standpoint. So shelf life is really key. Today, the U.S. pet food market is a $42 billion market, and Aldrich says that grows anywhere from 5 to 10% each year. The types of crops, the types of ingredients that we use are generally cereals, so corn, wheat, rice. Uh, specifically in the proteins category, we're looking at beef, chicken, and various uh, types of fish. Uh, we're trying to bring those proteins and those starches together to form a perfect pet food. And a new ingredient this program is working to tap into, dried distiller's grains. And what happens is, is as we're moving that starch out of the ingredient into ethanol with yeast, we're concentrating the protein level and the yeast also are providing more protein. But what may be even more impressive about the growing pet food market and the research here at Kansas State is how what some consider waste in the food manufacturing process can actually be a valuable ingredient for dogs and cats. The pet food industry has been very supportive of the entire food complex. If you think about it this way, uh, if we're manufacturing or producing beef or we're producing chicken for our edible uh, meals for our tables, only about 50% of that material and 50% of that meat product ends up on our plate. The other 50% is a co-product that has to go somewhere. And he says it's a similar scenario for grains. My hypothesis is that pet foods actually provide a floor or make our food less expensive. From new technology and creating new treats to also looking at even more ingredients that could be fed to dogs and cats. The pet food program at Kansas State isn't finished uncovering a future of pet food. A couple of ingredients we've added to the queue are things like miscanthus grass, which is a purpose grown fiber source coming out of the southeast Kansas and southwest Missouri. 
as the biggest growth today just may be how sustainable the pet food market will be for years to come. The idea that uh, we're going to leave our world better shape than what we found it. Uh, pet has been a big player in that, as I've just described previously about co-products and where they fit, but being able to capture that additional value and communicate it to the pet owner for the next decade or century. All right, thanks, Tyne, and that's all the time we have this morning. Wish you guys tuned in. From all of us here at Ag Day, I'm Clinton Have a great day.